Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen wa salatu wa salam ala ashrafil nambiyai wal mursaleen wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'een. Thank you for joining me this morning, guys. Um, I'm sorry for those, who, those of you who usually join on Facebook. Um, I don't have my other phone with me, so... I'm not set up on Facebook. Uh, this morning, inshallah, we're going to cover one of the Ethkara Sabah, one of the morning remembrances. One of the morning remembrances. There are tons of morning remembrances that some of which I have covered from the book, uh, uh, Fortress of the Muslim. If you guys don't have that book, I've seen someone post that they were a new Shahada, they're a new Muslim. For someone who is a new Muslim, it is imperative that you have this book. It's called The Fortress of the Muslim. Husnu Muslim. Husnu Muslim. It's imperative for every Muslim to have that book. All right. And to read from that book every morning, memorize all of the supplications 
all of the adhkar, all of the remembrances that are in that book. The beauty of that book is that the title, the, the title of the book, the author who wrote the book, put that, put those supplications into that book. The title that he came up with for that book was the perfect title because those supplications are your fortress. That is how you fortify yourself. You fortify your faith. You fortify, you know, when you wake up in the morning, you know, the Prophet Sallallahu prophesied that there will come a time where a person will wake up, right? A believer. That a person will wake up a believer and go to sleep a disbeliever. You know, that the times will be so convoluted Times would be so convoluted. Times would be so confusing. Times would be so dark that people will not know whether they're coming or going. That a person who believes themselves to be a strong believer can go to sleep, can wake up a believer, and then by the end of the day, the person is a disbeliever. By the end of the day, the person is a disbeliever. And a person doesn't just go from believing in God to disbelieving in God over a period of hours. That means that there were things that were transpiring before. There were things that led up to that point. And then sometimes it's just that one or two incidents that happen. That's just like the straw that breaks the camel's back. And the person just, their faith just collapses. Their faith, their faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just collapses completely. Shaitan is constantly working on you. You have to understand that. Shaitan is constantly working on you, making you forget here, reminding you about things that you forgot over there, reminding about your days past, reminding you about this, you know, your heyday, you know, you want to go back to this, you remember this feeling, remember that feeling, just constantly working on you until it's that one incident that hits you where you decide, okay, this is it. I have been meaning to disbelieve in God. I have been meaning to leave my religion, but this is it. And it just kind of sends you over. So when the Prophet said that there will come a time where a person will go to sleep a believer and wake up a disbeliever or wake up a believer and go to sleep a disbeliever, you got to understand that there's something that transpired before that. A person doesn't just wake up in the morning believing in God, and then by the end of the day, they have dis somehow disbelieved in God. It doesn't work like that. So that means that there were things that transpired, meaning the weakening of the faith. The Prophet that said that Mal iman illa kal qamis, that iman, true faith, is like a shirt. It's like a shirt, it's like a garment. If you don't renew your iman, you don't tajdeed, you jaddid imanic, you don't renew your iman, your iman will wither away like the fabric on a garment. You ever had a garment, have a shirt, and you just see the fabric just start to wear away? Right? You ever dried something too many times and you could just see how torn away the fabric is because of just wear and tear. The Prophet Sallallahu gave him a metaphor of faith in the same exact way. Faith is such that if you don't continuously renew your faith, guard your faith, fortify your faith, then it will wither away. 
it will wither away. And some of us, we don't renew our faith. We take our shahada, a Muslim, and off we go. But we don't stop. We don't stop. We don't, we don't take inventory of our faith. We don't take inventory. We don't say, man, you know, when I first became Muslim, I was so much of a better believer than I am right now. We don't take stock. We don't take inventory of our faith. And you have to slow down at times. You have to stop at times and just kind of take a look at yourself and say, you know, am I getting better? Am I getting worse? Am I allowing things to affect my faith? Or am I pushing through it? Am I learning how to navigate through these things? You, you have to take inventory of your faith. Otherwise, you're going to wake up one day and your faith is almost gone. You're at like 2%, right? And then you're scrambling like when our phones, you know, you know, you ever seen your phone when it's on 2% and you're scrambling trying to find a charger. And by the time you find the charger and you get everything plugged in, your phone done turned off. Now you got to wait for your phone to reboot. You got to wait for your phone to start all over again. Your faith functions the same exact way. You have to stop and recharge your battery. You have to stop and recharge your battery. You're gonna keep going. And some of us right now, new year just started and you running on 10%. You running on 10% faith. Eventually that 10% runs out and all it takes is for one major incident, calamity, misfortune to happen to you in your life before you say, you know what? I'm done with that. I'm done with religion. I'm done with religion. Some of us are already, as Muslims, on shaky ground. Some of us right now, as Muslims, we're already on shaky ground. And some of us are waiting for the right opportunity, the right situation to pop up in our lives before we say, you know what, now this is the justification that I was looking for to just kind of totally distance myself from her. I, I tried to do the, um, the Facebook Live. That's what was taking me so long. I, I don't know what happened. I'm trying to do it from my computer. I don't know if it worked. Did you guys actually see, see me on the Facebook Live? Uh, I don't know what happened. I tried to do it and then something happened and just wouldn't let me do it. That's what took me so long. We were supposed to start at nine. And I'm sitting here fiddling with my computer. Okay. Uh, I tried. Uh, I'll figure it out at some point. I tried to go live, but for some reason, uh, going live on my computer is a little more complicated than going live from my phone. I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. Okay, so uh, the point that I'm making is that you have to fortify your faith. You have to fortify your Iman. Uh, what we're going to talk, one of the ways that what, what's prompted this conversation was the fact that um, the fortress of the Muslim is a good way. The fortress of the Muslim is a good way to, you know, to fortify, to, to fortify your faith. No, I'm not on Facebook Live. 
Uh, I tried to do it from my computer, but for some reason, it's just not working. I'll figure it out, inshallah. Uh, <clears throat> however, I am on Zoom. Um, not necessarily necessary if you guys don't have like any questions. I am going to, this morning, I am going to leave room for questions and answers. So if you guys would like to join me on Zoom, uh, the Zoom number, and I'm only going to say this one time, so please write it down. Uh, the number for the to join me on Zoom is 835-7300-1811. And that's the, um, that's the Zoom. Uh, let me see. Yeah, so you can just type in the meeting ID and it should automatically let you in. And I will let you guys in. You can try, you can type it in to see if it works. That's the meeting ID number. Uh, I'm going to try to share it live on Facebook since I'm here. Let's see if we can do it. Should be live on Facebook in a few seconds. Okay. Uh, it should be live on, I was asking for a password. Give me one second.
Okay, the password is 217079. 217079. Do you guys see it on Facebook now? It should be on the Facebook page. Do you guys see it on uh, Facebook now? If you guys join on Zoom, just please make sure your microphones remain muted. Make sure your microphones remain muted, okay? Until we uh, start the question and answer session. Make sure your microphones are muted. Okay, so the point that I'm making here is that uh, over time, if you don't do uh, inventory on, you don't do inventory on your faith, uh, you can look up one day and find that you are pretty much struggling with your faith, struggling with your Iman. And that is as a result of neglect. If you neglect your faith, if you neglect your Iman over a period of time, then you are going to look up one day and you are going to see that you are struggling in terms of your Iman. And that is because you have, you know, you have allowed so much time to go by without you actually taking time out to address, you know, your faith. You haven't taken time out to cultivate and nurture it. The same thing happens with a marriage. The same thing happens with a marriage. If you're just like in your marriage and you're just kind of coasting on airplane mode, and you are not taking inventory of your marriage, the different milestones, the different shared experiences that you're having, you're going to look up one day and all of the problems are going to continue piling up on in your marriage. And by that time, it'll be a little bit too late. By that time, it'll be too late for you to salvage your marriage because you have allowed so many issues to pile up on, in your marriage. And it's too much to sift through. It's too much to fix. All right. So reciting these morning supplications, these morning remembrances, it helps to fortify your faith. It helps to keep you in the constant remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When we wake up every day and we go through our day, your faith takes so many hits throughout the day. Especially people who are not necessarily knowledgeable about how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala deals with his creation. There are many people who doubt God, many people who harbor ill feelings towards God. Why did God do this? Why did he do that? I don't understand this. I don't understand that. Because they don't, they don't know. They don't understand how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala deals with his creation. So it's hard for them to make sense of the things that are happening to them. This is especially true with people who are you know, lacking in knowledge and understanding of how Allah deals, deals with his creation. They suffer, their faith suffers the worst. Their faith suffers the worst because they're constantly trying to make sense of the things that are happening incident by incident, rather than having a general understanding that this is how God deals with his creation. I'll give an example. Let's say you make dua. You ask Allah for something. 
um, similar to the morning supplication that we're going to cover this morning. Let's say you ask Allah for something, and then you're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting, no response, you don't see it manifesting in the world, you don't see it manifesting in your life. Perhaps if you don't understand how Allah responds or why he responds or when he doesn't respond, you don't understand these things, then you will eventually give up making dua. No need to make dua. I asked God for this. Obviously, he didn't want me to have it. No, stop chalking it up as God didn't want you to have it. Maybe Allah does want you to have it, but maybe you didn't do the footwork. It's not simple for you, simple enough for you to just ask Allah for something and then sit back and say, I'm going to wait and see, you know, when Allah is going to give it to me, if he's going to bless it to me, bless me with it. And if he doesn't, if I don't see it manifest, then obviously it wasn't for me. No, it actually was for you. You asked for it, but then you didn't go out and do the footwork. You didn't go do the footwork to make it manifest. Dua doesn't work like that. Or it may be for you, just not now, right? Or maybe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knew that the thing that you were asking for was not actually good for you. And instead of giving you that, he gave you something else, but you were so focused on the thing that you asked for, but that you couldn't even see the other blessing that he gave you. You couldn't even see the other blessings that he gave you. That instead of giving you that, he gave you something else. But if you don't understand these things, you'll start to just chalk it up as, well, God don't listen to me, right? You, you Muslims who say this, God don't listen to me. Allah doesn't listen to me. Allah must not like me because Allah doesn't answer my dua. Man, stop with the pity party. Stop with the pity party. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, إِذَا سَأَلَكَ إِبَادِي عَنِّي فَإِنِّي قَرِيبُ أُجِيبُ دَعْوَةَ دَعِي إِذَا دَعَنْ That when my servants ask you about me, Tell them that I am near. I respond to the dua of everybody who calls on me. But then there's another part of that. Allah says, But let them answer me. So you're, you're busy asking God for something. You're busy asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for something. But have you answered Allah? You're asking him for something, but Allah is asking you for something. Have you responded to Allah? The way that you want Allah to respond to you? Are you responding to Allah the same way that you want him to respond to you? Did you get up in the morning for Salatul Fajr? When the adhan was called, Hayya ala salat, come to the prayer. Did you get up out of your bed and did you come to the prayer? Did you respond to the call of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? When you were caught, when you came to the crossroad between following your desire in this particular endeavor or obeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this particular endeavor, did you respond to Allah in that situation? Did you respond to Allah? Or did you do you? And I'll make Toba later, right? I, I'm going to do me and I, I'll, the door for Toba is always open. I'll ask Allah for forgiveness later. And it's, it's, it's the constant, you know, Lack of knowledge of these things is what drives people to eventually get to a point where one incident, one calamity, one misfortune, one adversity can just put you, push you over the edge where you say, you know what, I'm done with religion. I believe in God, but yeah, I'm, I'm over the whole religious thing. I'm, I'm over it. That's a very dangerous place to be. So the Prophet ﷺ, he mentioned in this hadith that was collected in the Sunan of Abu Dawood. The Prophet ﷺ said, مَا مِنْ عَبْدٍ يَقُولُ حِينَ يُصْبِحْ 
بسم الله الذي لا يضر مع اسمه شيء في الارض ولا في السماء وهو السميع العليم الا لا يضره يومه شيء ضر يومه هذا ومن قاله حين يمسي الى اخر الحديث the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said that there is no servant who wakes up in the morning is no servant who wakes up in the morning and he says this phrase phrase is very easy one line bismillah bismillah don't say bismi allah it's not bismi allah the meme that comes the 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 meme that has a kasra let me give you a quick arabic lesson when the meme when anything has a kasra and it comes before allah's name allah goes from allah to la so bismillah right so you don't say allah all right don't say bismi allah it's not bismi allah the kasra that comes before allah's name it makes allah yuraqiq it softens allah's name so it's no longer allah it's la bismillah all right bismillah alladhi la yadurru ma'a ismihi shay'un bismillah in the name of allah in the name of allah la yadurru ma'a ismihi shay'un nothing can harm me when i begin with the name of allah fil ardi wala fis sama not in the heavens or on the earth wa huwa samiul alim and he is the all hearer the all knower the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said whoever says this when they wake up in the morning three times then nothing will harm him throughout his day and whoever says it at night before he goes to sleep nothing will harm three times before he goes to sleep nothing will harm him at night anytime a kasra comes before allah's name it turns it from allah to la bismillah biidhnillah right so that's a, a quick arabic lesson all right so let's kind of analyze this this phrase because he said whoever says this three times when they wake up in the morning they will not be harmed by anything and whoever says it three times before they go to sleep they will not be harmed by anything nothing can harm you in the heavens or on the earth nothing from above you and nothing uh, on the ground with you can harm you this dua although very small uh, and this was the beauty of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam's miracle of jawami al-kalam the ability to say small phrases but the meanings are so deep so deep this small little phrase i don't want to take up a whole bunch of time but this small phrase has so many deeper meanings when you say bismillah in the name of allah that means that you are yani astaeedu billah i'm seeking refuge with allah by mentioning god's name by by merely mentioning his name starting with his name meaning you are seeking refuge with him bismillah i seek refuge with the name of allah la yadurru ma'a ismihi shay'un nothing can harm you with the name of allah nothing meaning 
If you are invoking the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the morning when you get up or at night before you go to sleep, that's basically yours. It's like you're throwing Allah's name out there in hopes that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not let you down. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sees that you are honoring his name and that Allah is not going to let you down. So if you throw Allah's name out there, it now becomes Allah's responsibility as your Rabb, as your Lord, right? To come to your assistance. Bismillah, in the name of Allah. Meaning I seek refuge with the name of Allah. The name by which nothing can harm you. Nothing can harm you. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's name is so powerful. This is why we invoke the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, before we eat. We invoke the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala before we uh, make wudu. We invoke the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, even, even before their sexual intimacy. You know, the dua before sexual intimacy. Allahumma inni a'udhu bika. Right? You're asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for his protection even before you are intimate with your spouse. That you're, you understand, like you're invoking the name of God and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in hopes that Allah would come to your aid and your assistance. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will come to your aid and your assistance, that he won't let you down because you called on his name. Bismillah, la yadurru ma'a ismihi shayin. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's uh, Allah's name is is very powerful. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's name is very powerful. Bismillah before many of the acts of worship. It's no coincidence that at the beginning of every surah in the Quran there's bismillah in the name of Allah. We begin everything in the name of Allah. As a matter of fact there's a hadith although it is daif it is weak but the scholars actually use it to show the importance of the name of Allah. That the Prophet Sallallahu it was reported that he said, "Kullu amri di balin la yubda bi bismillah abtar." That any important affair in which Allah's name is not invoked upon it, then it will be bereft of barakah. It will be void of any blessing. Any serious matter upon which the name of Allah is not invoked, it will be void of barakah. No barakah before we leave our homes, when we come into our homes, when we go into the masjid, when we come out of the masjid, before putting on our clothes, before we put on our clothes, we say bismillah. In the name of Allah, we do everything in the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Before entering in our homes, we say bismillah, and that becomes the protection for our homes from unwanted guests, unwelcome guests, i.e. the jinn, the shi'altin. You understand? Before we make wudu, you know what I mean? Bismillah. Bismillah. Alladhi la yadurru ma'a ismihi shay'un fil arabi wa la fil sama. Nothing can harm you with the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not in the heavens, not on earth. Nothing can harm you from above. Nothing can harm you on the earth that you are walking on. And then Allah, then he ends the dua, wa huwa al-sami'ul alim. And he is the all-hearer, the all-knower. He is the all-hearer, the all-knower. Bismillah tawakkaltu ala Allahi wa la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah. Right? The dua that we make when we leave out of our homes. Right? 
and he is the all-hearer, the all-knower at the end of that, meaning that Allah can hear your dua and he sees your actions. He can hear your dua and he can see your actions. So when we wake up in the morning, the first three things that you should say, uh, from amongst the things that you should say when you wake up in the morning, is Bismillahilladhi Three times. And that's your protection for the day. That is your protection for the day. There was a hadith, uh, one of the companions, uh, Aban ibn Uthman, Right, and uh, he he went to sleep at night, and he was he was bit by a scorpion. He was the one who narrated this hadith. He was the one. No, it's three times. The hadith is three times. All right, whoever says this three times when they wake up in the morning, not seven. Aban ibn Uthman was the narrator of the hadith, right? And. He said that he woke up in the morning and realized that he was bit by a scorpion. So some of the Sahaba were thinking that maybe he made this dua at night and he still got bit by a scorpion in the, uh, at night. And so therefore the dua doesn't work. And so Aban Ibn Uthman, he said, I don't want you guys to believe that this dua doesn't work. He said, the reason why I was bit by a scorpion last night was because I failed to make the dua. I didn't make the dua before I went to sleep. So it had nothing to do with the du'a. It had everything to do with me, right? And that brings me to another point, and that is that the du'a that we make, the supplications that we make, the remembrances that we do in the morning, they are only as effective as the level of your faith in it. They are only as effective as your level of faith in it. If you don't believe that it's going to work for you, and then you're just uttering some words, uttering some phrases, but there is no belief behind it. It's the same thing with Islam. If you don't believe that Islam is going to work for you, and you accepted Islam because you wanted to be married to this guy, or you accepted Islam because it seemed like Muslims is popping over here in this city or that city, and I just want to be a part of it or whatever, my cousin Muslim, and I just want to be down or I want to be a part of it, but there's no real commitment to the religion, there's no real sincerity, then Islam is a waste of time for you. Islam is a waste of time for you. <laughs> it's not going to do anything for you. And this is why you see people leave Islam. Because you got to look at the reason why you accepted it from the beginning. Why did you come into this? Dua is only going to work for you as much as you believe in it. Islam is only going to work for you in your life to the extent that you believe in it, that you are committed to it, that you are dedicated to it. As the hadith, uh, Sister Amira, you mentioned, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ana in the dhanni abdi bi. I am as my servant thinks I am. And I can do for my servant what he believes I can do for him. Meaning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will only do for you what you believed to the extent that you believe that he can do it for you. If you don't believe that God can do this for you or open this door for you or create this opportunity for you, then guess what? He's not. 
So don't blame God when you feel like, okay, God is not answering me. God is not responding to me. It's not God, it's you. It's you. It's not Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's you. So many people out here don't, don't believe in God and I, because I, I did this and God let that happen or I did that. And it's just like, it's a matter of your whole perception, man. It's your perception. I can give you a different way of looking at this. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive your father for his sins. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make your father's grave spacious. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow you and your family to make peace with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's decision to, to take your father. That, that is very, that's a tough pill to swallow. I know that. And I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows you guys to make peace with Allah's qadr, make peace with his decision. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make his grave spacious. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant him Jannah to Firdaus al-A'la, the highest place in Jannah, and allow you guys to unite with him on the day that faces will be shining, radiant, and bright. Subhanallah. We're losing so many, man. So many. Subhanallah. So the point that I'm making here is that Aban, he said that I don't want you guys to believe that the dua doesn't work. The dua works. I just did not make the dua last night. And so therefore I was bitten by a scorpion. So I want to say this. What if, what if, I know it is brother. I, I know it is man. I, I know it is a tough pill to swallow. I know, I know. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't test you with more than what you can handle. Allah doesn't put on you more than what you can handle. And inshallah, in due time, in due time, you'll learn how to, you'll learn how to manage your emotions, man. But allow yourself to grieve. Allow yourself to go through those seven stages of, or the six stages of grief. Allow yourself to have that, man. Don't let nobody take that away from you. You don't need to heal at nobody else's, pro uh, at no one else's speed except your own. Take your time, grieve. A lot of times we suppress emotions, we suppress feelings, because we think that we got to show everybody else that I'm okay. No, you don't. I say that to you guys all the time. Somebody say you're okay. No, I'm not okay, but that's okay. I, I'll, I'll get through it. But it's okay to sit here, to sit in that space and say, no, I am not okay right now. I'm not. Don't ever let anybody shame you into owning your emotions. Those are yours. Don't let nobody take that away from you. Take your time, inshallah. You do have time in Islam to grieve. You do have time to grieve. Okay, so the Prophet said, Whoever says it three times when they wake up in the morning or three times when they go to sleep at night, in the name of Allah, nothing can harm me with the name of Allah, whether in the heavens or in the earth. And he is a semi'ul alim. He is the all-hearer, the all-knower. My question is, what if you make this dua? What if I make this dua this morning? I made this dua this morning and I get into a car accident later on today. Did the dua not, did it, 
Was it not effective? It didn't work. How do we process that? When we come across a hadith that says, whoever does this, Allah will protect them. Whoever does this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will, you know, will protect them and will you know, help them through this situation or that situation, or nothing will harm them. You know, that, that's a very general statement, right? That nothing can harm you in the heavens and the earth. But then let's say I make this dua, I go about my day, I get into a car accident or, you know, something happens, I slip, I fall, I got hurt, you know, anything can happen. How do I process that? Do I say now, well, I made the dua this morning, it didn't work. Man, I'm not making those du'as anymore. That's a waste of time. How do I process? Maybe you committed a sin and Allah used it to wipe away your calamity. That's one way of looking at it. It was the qadr. Right. So here, here's the other thing. Um, two things about the qadr. Perhaps it was already written that that was going to happen to you. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not change his color. Perhaps that that was already written for you prior to you making this dua. And even before you made the dua or even after you made the dua, but it was already written. This is hotel coffee. It's horrible, but I have yet to get to Starbucks yet. But it has to do for now. Hotel coffee is the worst. If you make this dua and then something happens to you, it's not for you to look at it and say, well, the dua didn't work. Because number one, what is written in the qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not going to be changed. But then that brings us to the other hadith where the Prophet wasallam said, nothing changes the dua except the qadr. So now, how do we look at that in light of that hadith? The Prophet ﷺ said, nothing changes the dua except the qadr. I made this dua and my qadr still did not change. Well, when the Prophet ﷺ said, nothing changes the dua except the qadr, he doesn't mean the dua is changed, right? It means that Allah, rather than testing you with this, he'll test you with something else. So it's still the qadr. It's still the qadr. Understand, I've given lectures before about how to understand this hadith. When the Prophet ﷺ said, nothing changes the, the qadr except dua. It doesn't mean that what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has, has written for you is going to change. It just means that Allah, instead of testing you with one thing, he'll give you something else. But it's still all within the qadr. You understand? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right, I, I, he's swapping one qadr for another. So the qadr didn't actually change. What was written for you still befalls you. <laughs> it still befalls you. As the Prophet mentioned in another hadith, it, uh, that if one, if one misses you, then another one is going to hit you. Right? The pen has been lifted and the ink is dry. What's written is written. And just because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't test you with it here doesn't mean that he's not going to test you with something else in replace of that, in place of that. So it's just swapping out one qadr for another, but it's still all in the qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
So if you make this dua and then you're still tested with something throughout your day, it doesn't mean that the dua didn't work. It just means that what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had written for you was not going to change. It, it wasn't going to change. But do you see how understanding these things help you to process? It helps you to process these things in a more healthy way so it doesn't conflict with your relationship with God. It doesn't you know, compromise your relationship with God. Thoughts, negative thoughts, evil thoughts are the worst, man, because you don't have the wherewithal to combat them. Evil thoughts that we harbor about God, they are very dangerous because you don't have the knowledge to combat those thoughts. All of us are confronted with evil thoughts about Allah. All of us are confronted with those things. We are all confronted with those type of thoughts. Even the Sahaba, they came to the Prophet one time and they said, oh, Messenger of Allah, we are having thoughts about Allah that we can't even express verbally. And the Prophet he said, are you really experiencing this? They said, yes. He said, that is true faith. The fact that you are even having those thoughts is true faith. Why? Because it shows that shaitan is, you know, constantly bombarding you with these thoughts because he is afraid and intimidated by your level of faith. Understand? Shaitan is intimidated by your level of faith, so he constantly bombards you with these thoughts, these evil thoughts about Allah. Every time something in your life happens, here comes shaitan. You see? And you still believe in God? You still want to believe in him? You still dedicating yourself to him? You still, you know, you're still doing this for God? Look at what he just did. Look at how he let you down over here. Look at how he didn't respond to you over here. And you still want to submit to him? You still want to believe in him? You're still making all of these sacrifices for God? This, these are the thoughts that he's putting into your head. And you don't have the wherewithal to combat those thoughts. The fact that you are having those thoughts is an indication that shaitan is intimidated by your level of faith. He is intimidated. Otherwise, he wouldn't have to bombard you with these type of thoughts. He would just easily lead you astray in other ways. You understand? He would just easily lead you astray in other ways. So the fact that you are having these thoughts is an indication that you have strong faith. Because otherwise, shaitan wouldn't even bother using that particular method to try to misguide you. He would use other methods. He would use your lowly desires, your carnal desires, your animalistic impulses. He's, he's great with that. He loves that. Because that's the easiest way to lead the human being astray. The easiest way to lead a human being astray is through his carnal desires. We are just one step from being animals. We're just one step from being animals. The only thing that separates us from animals are instincts. They use their instincts. Human beings use their intellect. So the moment you stop thinking about your decisions and your decisions become impulsive, then guess what? You function no different than an animal. You function no different than an animal. Everything is instinctive, impulsive. That's how animals function. So once shaitan gets you to, and this is why I keep saying about the, the that low-level behavior, low-level behavior, because as long as you're functioning on that lower vibration, that lower tier, that lower-level behavior, 
Shaitan will, it's so easy for him to get you to go astray. When you elevate beyond the low level behavior and you start to process and think, weigh your pros and your cons and you know weighing your actions against whether or not Allah is going to be pleased with you is if you do it is, is Allah going to be angry with you if you do it is this going to be something that is you know you understand you start to elevate your 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 thinking is completely different now so shaitan has to find another way to lead you astray because the carnal desires you've already closed that path off so now when you start to function on a higher level Right, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves, you know, the, the higher behaviors, right? We talked about that, being a high-functioning individual, right? When you start to function up there, now shaitan has to find another way to lead you astray, and that is through the shubuhat, start to come at you through your intellect. You don't have to do that because you did this. You don't have to do sunnah prayers. You already did your mandatory. You don't have to do that. That's extra. You don't have to do that. Well, you can do this instead of doing that. This is how Shaitan now comes at you. You understand? Because he can't get you on the lower vibration. He can't get you on the lower tier, lower behaviors. You understand? He has to find another way. And this is why the scholars say that the two ways that Shaitan leads people astray is through Shahawat or Shubuhat. Shahawat, which is your lowly desires, your animalistic impulses. And Shubuhat, doubts and misconceptions. If he can't get you this way, he'll get you that way. You start to rationalize certain things. Well, it's not a major sin. You know, I'm going to do it. It's not a kebab yet. It's not a major sin. It's a minor sin. Not that big of a deal. Or I can just do it and then I'll make Toba later. Right? I can do it and I'll just make Toba. These are the rationalizations, right? Because he can't get you on the lower behaviors. But as long as he can toy with your thoughts, he can get you that way. All right. In the name of Allah, I seek refuge with the name of Allah that nothing will harm me with the name of Allah, whether in the heavens or in the earth, and he is all hearing, all knowing. And this dua does help against even the shayateen. The shayateen are above you. They are, you know, they're beings from another dimension, you know, and that can also apply to being protected even from the shayateen. So this dua teaches us al-isti'ada, to seek refuge in Allah. This dua teaches us tawakkul, it teaches us to trust in Allah because if you throw Allah's name out there, you are trusting that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to come to your aid and your assistance. So this, this remembrance, um, it teaches us these things. All right. So I, I want you guys to, you know, always, you know, check in on your faith, man. Check in on your faith. Tap in with your iman, tap in with your faith to make sure, you know, do inventory, man. Don't just coast in Islam on airplane mode. Check in with your iman, check in with your faith. How am I doing? How am I doing? Am I doing better? Am I doing worse? What do I need to improve on? What do I need to improve in? All right, so this is, you know, one of the many, many supplications, one of the many, many remembrances that we make. 
um, during the day, inshallah ta'ala. So we'll stop there, bi'idhnillah. I don't know if you guys have any questions. We kind of ended a, a, a lot earlier than we usually do. So uh, I have some time for some questions, answers. If you guys have any questions, then uh, I'll take a few moments to address those. Any questions related to what we covered? Take advantage of this because I don't usually do questions and answers. I have the opportunity now to do it, but I don't usually do it. Uh, so if you have any questions, you guys can go ahead and ask your question. Uh, the live will already be saved on Instagram Live. Um, the only other thing that I can do is that when I finish the live, it gives me an option to either download it to my phone, which means that I can download it to my phone and then kind of upload it to YouTube or upload it to Facebook. But if it stays on Instagram, that's pretty much where it stays. Uh, I have the audio because I'm streaming it live on uh, Zoom as well. Um, So uh, I can leave it on Instagram, but that's where it will be. Uh, I'll post the audio to um, the um, anchor, the podcast, um, and you can probably listen to it. What's the best way to stop committing sin? Um, one of the best ways to stop committing sin is to look at the one that you are sinning against. The scholars, they say, Don't look at how minute or how small the sin is. Look at how magnificent the one you are disobeying. You are disobeying the king. I like to refer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as the king, al-malik. He is the king with everybody today putting themselves in positions of superiority, having superiority complexes. I like to reduce people by giving Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala his position as king. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the king. Yesterday, I was held up uh, at the airport. Uh, SubhanAllah. Was, uh, I mean, I, you know, I've learned to accept these things. So, I mean, it's part of what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted. Uh, but uh, I got to the airport at, in Philly at 8 a.m. I didn't actually leave Philly to get to Atlanta until 3 p.m. So, um, you know what I mean? Like, I'm sitting in the airport for hours, you know, and I'm the, like, I took advantage of my opportunity. I, I'm never without a book or without a notebook or without, you know, something to do. So it wasn't wasted time um, just to kind of sitting around for, you know, seven, eight hours waiting Nonetheless, um, there was another Muslim brother who was, um, as I was lining up to get on the plane, there was another Muslim brother. I didn't even know he was Muslim, but uh, he came alongside of me and, you know, we started talking. And uh, he was like, yeah, man, this, this is crazy because a lot of the non-Muslims, you know, they start, you know how they do, man. They just start cursing and start, you know, you know, they start cursing. They start acting all wild because they don't understand that, you know, and as I said to the brother, we were not going to leave until the king said we could go. It's the bottom line. 
we were not going anywhere until Al-Malik, the king, Al-Malik, the king, until the king said that we can go. That's the bottom line. And he was like, "Dag man, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't even think about it like that." But yeah, absolutely, yeah. The king said, "We sit and we sit until Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala says otherwise." There's nothing that can happen. The king is in control. When Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala wanted us to leave, they said, "You can board." We got on the plane, and plane got on the tarmac, and you know, off we went. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us permission to go. Bottom line. Allah gave us permission. The king said, you can go. Not before. She understand? Not before. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is in complete control of everything. And if you and what I'm saying is that when you change your, your mentality, right? You change your mentality when you start thinking about things like that. When you're about to disobey Allah, you're about to do something haram. The next time you do that, I want you to think in terms of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala being your king. He is al-Malik. Would the king approve of that? Sister, the next time a brother jumps in your DM. And you're communicating with the brother in your DM, I want you to ask yourself, would the king approve of that? Would the king approve of that? Nah, he wouldn't. Like I serve, I serve some my I serve one that is greater than all of us. And I have to be mindful. You understand? I have to be mindful of my actions. Would the king approve of that? Nah, I can't. Nah, I can't disobey him. Right, and this was the lesson that Prophet Yusuf salam, had to learn, because Prophet Yusuf, when he wanted to get out of prison, he told the guy who was leaving, "Mention me to the king." And so you're worrying about the king here, but you're not worrying about the king there. You understand? He said, "Mention me, mention me to the king, so I can get out of prison." And so you're opting to go for the king here on the earth, but you're not going for the king of the heavens and the earth. It's, it's, it's changing your mentality. So the next time that you decide that you want to obey, disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, ask yourself, would it, would it please the king to do that? If we were using old English, right? Any of you like, you know, 15th, the 15th, 16th century, you know, reading, you know, those, those period pieces, would it please the king, right? Would it please the king that you do that? And I mean, I know we all sin, we all slip, we all, but you also have to understand that you serve Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You belong to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah owns you and everything that you do. You know, so as I told the brother, I said, you know, we weren't leaving until the king gave us permission to leave. And that's that. Um, Um, how do you teach children the best way to teach children about the Qadr? Um, that's a whole lesson. <laughs> that's a whole, that's a whole entire lesson. Um, it, it, I mean, there's so many different aspects of the Qadr. It's not, you know what I mean? Like you can't just say, okay, teach the kids Qadr like this. What aspect of the Qadr are you referring to? There's so many different components. You know what I mean? 
so many different components of the qadr. You have to be a little bit more specific. And in, in what specific are, are you referring to um, as it relates to teaching children about the qadr? I think it would be wise to kind of teach them incident by incident. As the incidents come about, then you just seize the opportunity as a parent to begin to explain to them, you know, the overall, you know, incident. Rather than focusing on the specific incident, you teaching them all of the, the components that made that incident happen the way that it did. Three times in the morning and three times before you go to sleep. The co component I'm speaking of is when something happened in the child's life that they don't like, such as getting hurt, death in the family. Well, getting hurt, that's that's easy to explain. If they fall on their bike, then we can we can always make sense of that. It could either be an accident, you know, things happen. It could be you didn't have your helmet on, your shoes weren't laced, or, you know, we can make sense of that. But as it relates to death, uh, death is a hard pill to swallow. You know, even adults still struggle trying to understand death. Um, but I think that helping children to understand the qadr as it relates to death is um, pretty much related to them understanding life. What is the purpose of life? Why are we here? You know, why are we here? I think before explaining death, kind of explaining life like what is the purpose why are we here like we we all have a limited number of days that we're here right hassan al basri he say oh son of adam you are nothing more than mere numbered days every time a day goes by part of you goes by that you can't get back so from the moment we exit the our mother's wombs you know we are numbered days and the clock is just ticking and when that time comes, like this, you know, as Allah says in the Quran, la wa And when your time, when your number is called, there's nothing that you can do to push it back or push it forward. Like it is what it is at that point, you know. And it just takes, you know, some compassion, understanding. You know, also in, in uh, explaining death is also trying to get them to embrace their emotions. A lot of times we try to maneuver around or navigate around what a person is feeling and allow them to feel in that moment, you know, like what you are feeling, like everything that you are feeling right now, that's normal. Those are your feelings. Normalize feelings. Sometimes with children, we're trying to get them not to feel like this or not to feel like that. You know, same thing in marriage. You know, a man gets his wife angry and then he rushes to try to do something to kind of put a Band-Aid over the emotion. Like, you know, in my age, I've learned to just kind of accept that that's the way you feel. I'm, I'm, I can only apologize for my actions and apologize for how my actions affected you. But you are entitled to your feelings. You are entitled to your emotions. And I, I'm not going to try to change that. I'm not going to try to make you feel better you know, so I can feel better. You you are inside, those are your emotions. Those are your feelings. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us emotions for a reason. It's part of what makes us human. And I think if we stop trying to navigate around the emotions, you know what I mean? And just understand that this is what it is at that moment, you know, and not try to change that or not trying to shame somebody for feeling like that. 
And we do a lot of that in this day and time. We shame people and we blame people for feeling a certain type of way. And it's just like, well, I'm sorry that you felt. I'm sorry that me saying this made you feel like that. I'm sorry me doing this made you feel like that. I'm really sorry. And that's the only thing that I am responsible for. As it relates to the emotions, those are yours. And men do that all the time. We, we hate to see our wives upset. We hate to see them in their feelings. And so we're rushing and we, we exert so much energy trying to make them feel better. And so let me just give you guys a, a tidbit. Don't do that. Don't do that. It's like when the Prophet وسلم, uh, came out of Hafsa's house with Madia. And Hapsa saw him coming out of Madia, out of her house with Madia. Here is the Messenger of Allah coming out of one of his wives' house with one of his concubines. And you know, she said, Oh, Messenger of Allah, why, why would you do that to me on my day in my house, you know, in my bed? You know, like you wouldn't have did that to Aisha. And the Prophet Sallallahu rather than just sitting in that discomfort in that, mo in that moment, realizing that I did something that was, you know, I did something that was probably not the best course of action in that moment. Rather than sitting there in that discomfort, what does he do? He rushes to try to make the situation right. What does he do? What did the Prophet Sallallahu do in that moment? Who's familiar with the story? What did the prophet do in that moment to try to make her feel better? Which actually ended up making the situation worse. No, he didn't say he would divorce her. He said that he would make Madia haram for him. I'll make her haram for me and I will never go to her again. I will never sleep with her again, right? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala immediately, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed an entire surah because of that behavior, because of the action that the Prophet did. What was the name of that surah? What was the name of that surah? Does anybody know the name of the surah? The name of the surah tells you everything. The surah is called Surah Al-Tahrim, which means to make something haram. Very good, Abu Aminah. The surah is Tahrim. I believe surah number 66. I believe it's 66. No, not surah to Nisa. Surah to Tahrim. I believe it's surah number 66. Somebody can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, Tahrim means to make something haram that Allah made halal. In the first ayat, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala admonishes the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. O Prophet, why did you make haram what Allah made halal for you? Seeking to please your wife. Seeking to make your wife happy. Allah admonished him for that. What he was supposed to do in that moment was to sit in that discomfort. I, I did something that I probably shouldn't have done. And for that, I'm sorry. But we rushed to try to make it right. Right? Because sometimes we feel guilty, but that doesn't change. Even if you try to make it right, it doesn't change how it affected the person. So the point that I'm making is that, you know, when we're trying to teach children about death, 
think a lot of times it's like, we don't want them to be angry. We don't want them to be upset. We don't want them to cry. We don't know. Let people own their emotions. Those are theirs. Some scholars say that he married her later, um, which um, in, uh, around the time that she had his son, Ibrahim, she was the mother of his son. Some scholars do say that he married her, but she initially started off as a concubine. She was, uh, she was uh, his right-hand possession. And some scholars say that later on he married her before she had his son, Ibrahim. She was Ibrahim's mother. Right, acknowledge that it is okay to feel. Don't, if your child, you lost a parent or a relative and you bring your child, it's like, don't cry. It'll be okay, inshallah. No, don't do that. It's not going to be okay. Why are you lying to the child? It's not going to be okay. That child is going to be scarred. Scarred. God forbid Allah takes my life and, you know, one of my, my kids are crying. My kids are not going to be okay. Don't tell them uh, it'll be okay. Inshallah, they're in a better place. That that does not take away the emotion. It's not going to be okay. Stop telling children that. You, what you're trying to do is get to, you're trying to change the emotion. You're trying to change the way that they feel. And that is unhealthy. Engage them. So how are you feeling right now? What's going through your mind right now? How are you feeling? Get them to talk about their emotions. Well, I'm hurting. You know, I, I'm, I feel disappointed. I feel this. And engage them about the emotions that they are feeling. But don't try to get them to suppress that. You understand? Everybody, you guys understand what I'm saying? Don't do that to people. That's, that's, you know, let them sit in that. Let, let them deal with their emotions. Let them sit in that. Engage them. If you do anything, how are you feeling? So what are you feeling right now? What's going through your mind right now? I said that to my son the other day. He lost his job. I said, okay, so what's going through your mind right now? What are you, what are you feeling right now? He just looked at me like, what? And, you know, he's one of those kids that doesn't really talk about his emotions. But I wanted to engage him. I want to engage him. Where are you at? Where are you at? Like, what's happening right now? What's going through your mind right now? What are you feeling? Do you feel like you're disappointed in yourself? It was like, well, yeah, I do feel a little disappointed. Okay. Okay. Now I can get you start talking. Because, you know, boys, they have a hard time. Boys feel emotions. They just have a hard time expressing them. They have a hard time finding the right words that conveys what they're experiencing without making them look weak. You understand? That's probably one of the reasons why your husband doesn't talk about his, his feelings. Because to do that, we have been taught in this society for a man to do that, it makes him look weak. It makes him look weak. So boys, men as well, when they're struggling to talk about their emotions, it's not that they don't feel, they feel, it's just that they can't find the right words to convey what they are experiencing without making them look like, you know, look weak. But once the person tells you what they are experiencing, what they, then you know how to engage them. Right. It makes them seem emotionally unavailable. It makes them seem cold. It makes them seem, you know, aloof. 
It does. Emotionally aloof? Yes, it does. But here again, you have to create the environment in your home where talking about your emotions, expressing yourself, this is, you know, like this is a safe environment for you to do that. My home, my family, my home, this is a safe environment. Express how you feel because they are your feelings at the end of the day. They are your feelings. There's nothing I can do about that. You could be mad at me. You could be mad at me. I really don't like you right now. That's fine. And I'm not going to try to change that. I have to sit in that discomfort. I have to sit in that discomfort that the fact that I did something that made you angry or made you upset. And I have to just wait until you get past that. You know what I mean? But I'm not going to, I mean, like you can bring roses, you can bring chocolate, you can bring ice cream and, you know, the kind of, that's not, that's not for a man to do that, to change the emotion. That's for you to kind of, as a kind gesture to say that I'm sorry, but your emotions are your emotions. All right, so I hope that answer helps. All right, I got time for one more question. One more question and then I'm done. One more question. And then I got to go get some real coffee. One more question and then we're done. The only, uh, the only emotion some adults know is anger. Well, it's not that's the only emotion that they know. It's what's comforting for them. When you said that the prophet had a right-hand woman, what did you mean? Concubine. A concubine is a woman who was a, a captive of war. a captive of war. Gift giving is a love language. It is, it is, but that's only if it's received like that. You could say, I love you because I'm giving you a gift, but if my love language is words of affirmation, your gift doesn't really do it for me. I need you to engage me a little deeper, so. Why is it important to humanize the Prophet ﷺ discussing his mistakes? Well, I, I think that discussing the Prophet ﷺ in that manner, uh, it humanizes him and it by humanizing him, by humanizing him, it allows us to identify with him even more on a more personal level. If we're constantly talking about the Prophet ﷺ as this perfect human being that never made any mistakes then at what point do you identify with that? Because it's like, and this is what leaves people to say things like, well, that was the prophet, almost as if that he's, <laughs> as if he's just like on this level that we can never achieve or we can never attain that. We make, when we paint him as this perfect human being, and he was the most perfect human being, but that doesn't mean that he didn't make decisions or do actions. I mean, we can see that all throughout the Quran. All throughout the Quran, we can see, 
I mean, you can say human mistakes or you can say decisions that were made that were probably not the best decisions in those moments, right? All throughout the Quran, you can see that. He is not, you know, he is not above that. You know what I mean? As far as committing sin and disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, yes, absolutely. But as far as human error and making decisions that were not the best decisions, we've covered so many of those. I mean, even the revelation of Surah Al-Kahf, Surah number 18. There's an ayah in there that explains why the whole entire surah was revealed. He made the mistake of saying to Quraysh, come back and ask me tomorrow about Surah Al-Kahf and about Ashab Al-Kahf, and I'll tell you about it. But he didn't say, inshallah. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made him wait two weeks, almost a month, before revelation was revealed to him to teach him a lesson. And in the ayat, Allah, in the surah, Allah revealed the ayat, Don't say that you intend to do something tomorrow, except that you follow it up with, inshallah. That was the whole point. The surah Tahrim, which we just talked about. Right? So, there are many, many human errors that he made. And by discussing those in that manner, we, we humanize him so that we can identify more with him on a human level. Because if you're constantly talking about him as this perfect human being, then he almost becomes angelic, you know, to a certain degree. And then it's just like, well, I can't really relate to that because I'm not on his level. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a sinner. I make mistakes. Like, well, who can I identify with? And you now you're left to look at the Sahaba, you know, look at some of the mistakes that they've made. And then, you know, maybe you can identify with some of them, but I can't even identify with this man because everything he did was just so perfect. And, and it's, it's not realistic. It's not realistic. It's, it's not realistic. So, you know, and Islam is a realistic doctrine. This is, is nothing more real. I have never seen a religion more real than the religion of Islam. It's, it's not like a textbook, you know, walk through the park. It is actually real, real people having real human experiences that we can identify with, that we can mold and fashion our lives to follow in these examples. And even the, the mistakes, or if you want to use other than mistakes to say that, you know, behaviors or actions that were probably not the best at, the, at those moments, we even benefit from those. We even benefit from those. Aisha's mistake of, you know, going to use the bathroom, not telling anybody where she went and losing the necklace and causing the, you know, that whole situation. But look at all of a whole entire sore was revealed as a result of that mistake. A whole entire sore, Surah to Anur, Surah number 24. All those ayats in Surah to 24 that were revealed that, you know, became legislation were revealed as a result of the mistake that Aisha made of just simply getting out of the holdage, getting out of her carriage, going into the woods to use the bathroom, losing her sister's necklace, trying to find it, coming back, the caravan is gone, having this guy pick her, you know, uh, you know, have the camel kneel and walk the camel back into Medina. And then this whole scandal was created around that incident. Ayats were revealed that will be recited until Yom Al-Qiyam. Even Aisha said herself that I saw myself as being less than worthy that Allah would reveal ayats about me that will be recited until Yom Al-Qiyam.
وشأني في نفسي أهون أن ينزل الله سبحانه وتعالى آيات تتلى إلى يوم القيامة I never, she said, I never saw myself as being worthy of Allah revealing ayats that will be recited about me until Yom Al-Qiyamah. SubhanAllah. So even, even the mistakes, even the mishaps, even the hiccups that, you know, we found in their lives and in their stories, we benefit even from that. You guys have been great. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward you all. Jazakumallah khairan. وصلوا الله I believe the first lecture today is at five. Uh, nonetheless, I will put a post out, but um, our discussion today will be um, a step-by-step -step process in implementing Islam into our lives, incorporating Islam into our lives. Let's go from being practicing Muslims to just being Muslims who their whole lives is Islam. You understand? Let's go from being just saying, I'm not practicing Islam to I am living Islam, step-by-step -step process on how that is going to be done. So if you know anybody who is a new Muslim, this will be an excellent discussion for them. Someone who is a new Muslim, someone who is struggling to try to transition from simply practicing Islam to actually living Islam. If you know someone who is struggling with that, um, please tune in this afternoon, inshallah, around 5 p.m., I believe, the, the first lecture. Uh, I will post on Instagram uh, the exact uh, time, and the uh, title is on the flyer that's on my Instagram and Facebook page. All right? May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you all. Wa sallallahu ala nabiyya Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam al-taslima kathira wa akhiru da'wana. And alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.